0: Christ is risen, indeed he is risen. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the Divine Lantern, a continuation in our new series, Serving the Community, presented by our very own Khudiyyes of the Archdiocese. With the blessing of His Eminence Metropolitan Basilios, the Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese presents a podcast to educate, empower and enrich. I'm Jonathan from the Antiochian Christian Orthodox Youth and I'll be your host for this week. Today we'll be joined by Khudaya Jamila in part 2 of our series, we will speak about ministry through almsgiving, before learning about monasteries in our patriarchate, celebrating the feasts of saints, and answering one of your questions. Remember if you have one you'd like answered, please send it through to tdl at For now though, settle in and enjoy.
1: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is risen. Thank you to the Divine Lantern. It is a great privilege to participate in this limited series on serving the community. Alongside my sisters, the Huriyas of our Archdiocese. Further to this, I'd like to extend my thanks to the guidance of His Eminence, Metropolitan Basilios, who always brings us together and encourages us to share our knowledge and experience with others through many different ministries of our Archdiocese. It is a blessing that we, as the wives of the clergy of the Archdiocese, have each other for support and can collaborate together. My name is Khuriya Jamila Zgheib, wife of Father Isaac Zgheib, from St. Mary's Mount Pritchard. Today I will be speaking about almsgiving. Almsgiving, what is it exactly? There is a common misconception that almsgiving is only about donating money or giving food and clothes to the poor, but it is far more than that. Today I will discuss the different forms of almsgiving, why it's important and how we, as Antiochian Orthodox Christians, can partake in almsgiving. The Orthodox Church views almsgiving as one of the three pillars of Orthodox spirituality, with prayer and fasting going hand in hand it continues to be a crucial element of orthodox spirituality. Metropolitan Ephraim of Tripoli, al kura in Lebanon, states that as the world that has become more and more secular and materialistic, alms-giving couldn't be more crucial with fasting and prayer. alms-giving can be expressed in many ways and is more commonly known in the form of giving clothes and food to the homeless or needy and donating money to church or charities. However, This understanding of almsgiving is limited and there are many other, less commonly known forms of almsgiving. These can vary and extend to giving one's time, talents and treasure and can be expressed in many forms. Giving time as alms refers to making time for others, lending a compassionate ear and being in the present moment. For example, giving your time to listen to other people and their troubles. Other examples include offering your free time to help the church by organizing events, helping with Sunday school sessions, youth group activities, and or volunteering to help charities such as St. Raphael's mission, which I will expand on later. Examples of giving your time closer to home could involve helping your elderly neighbour by cutting their grass, changing a light bulb, cooking them a hot meal, even just checking in on them and having a conversation with them. Giving your time to help others in need is a form of almsgiving. Almsgiving of talents refers to offering the skills and attributes that you have been blessed with. These include, but are not limited to, chanting in the choir, helping with electrical work, painting and repairs of the church, as well as offering any teaching skills, media, or IT skills, accounting, cooking, sewing and floristry skills. The options are endless and once shared can be considered forms of almsgiving. A third form of almsgiving is giving your treasure, commonly known as donations of money, clothes, food and various items for charity, to those who are in need. It is important to keep in mind that donations of clothes or food shouldn't be what's left over. According to St. Paisios, giving alms, therefore, must be a sacrificial act if it has any spiritual worth. One cannot give merrily what is left over when all his own needs are satisfied. One must take from oneself and give to others. It is also essential to consider that when making donations of items, a high standard of quality is maintained to ensure those who are recipients of these donations are respected and treated with dignity. Overall, almsgiving can take many forms and there are many ways in which we as Orthodox Christians can practice this crucial pillar of our faith. Another important point for consideration is that when one is giving their time, talent and or treasure, the most crucial feature of partaking in this almsgiving is that it should be done discreetly and with a humble heart. giving is an important part of our spirituality and if completed with humility will reap much spiritual benefit. Matthew 6, 1-4, Beware of practising your piety before men, in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give alms, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, that they may be praised by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know, what your right hand is doing, so that your arms may be in secret and your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Just recently, as an archdiocese, we collected goods for an earthquake appeal to help the people of Turkey and Syria, who were affected by the devastating earthquakes in that region. This appeal involved a large shipping container being sent, with all parishes in New South Wales donating items to help. This mammoth operation could not have been done without the tremendous support of our churches and its parishioners. But when it came to what goods were being donated, standards needed to be set. It needed to be clarified that the giving he didn't involve donating one's worn-out used clothes that were no longer wanted or needed, nor one's musty blankets that have sat neglected in cupboards for years. During this time, we needed to reflect Do those in desperate need not deserve fresh clothes on their backs? Or brand new blankets that aren't unravelling at the seams? Instead of assuming what was needed, our archdiocese reached out and asked what was needed. The specific items were requested. Baby formula, canned goods and blankets. Seed Basilios insisted that canned food items were to be far from their expiration date for many months to come and blankets were brand new further capturing the essence of almsgiving. One cannot give merrily what is left over when all his own needs are satisfied. One must take from oneself and give to others. The recipients of these donations were people like you and me They had a house, a secure job, a family full of life and happiness, but lost all that in an instant. They were in need. And as a church, we needed to give more, than what was spared, we needed to take from ourselves and give to others. As an archdiocese, we continue to do so by directing our time and energy to many worthy drives and appeals, such as the Pascha Charity Drives in Victoria at our brother and sister churches and St. Raphael's Easter Hamper Drive for the homeless. St. Gregory the Theologian says, Give something, however small, to the one in need, for it is not small to the one who has nothing, neither is it small to God, if we have given what we could. Before I conclude, and as mentioned earlier, I would like to take some time to talk about St. Raphael's Antiochian Orthodox Christian Mission, also known as SRM. This mission has operated under the jurisdiction of the Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese since 2012. It is a Sydney-based charity that offers multiple services including feeding the homeless at Martin Place every Monday night, delivering groceries and hampers to newly arrived refugees, and providing support for the senior citizens in our church by helping them feel less isolated. St Raphael's mission has also recently initiated SRM Kids, which has allowed the younger generation to partake in almsgiving by baking desserts that are served to the homeless on Monday nights. Volunteering one's time, talents and or treasures to SRM has allowed many over the years to actively participate in almsgiving. To conclude, my final message here is simple. Almsgiving can be offered in many ways, no matter what age, skill or attributes one has to offer. It's not only about giving money, that can also involve giving your time and talents. This crucial pillar of our spirituality requires each of us to take from ourselves and give to others. Arms giving is an important part of our spirituality, and if completed discreetly and with a humble heart, will reap much spiritual benefit.
0: Thank you Khodiyar for that beautiful address. And now let's explore the profound wisdom and guidance found in the writings of our holy Neptic fathers as we hear this week's philocalic nourishment.
1: Combine prayer with inner watchfulness, for watchfulness purifies prayer, while prayer purifies watchfulness. It is through unceasing watchfulness that we can perceive what is entering into us and can to some extent close the door against it, calling upon our Lord Jesus Christ to repel our malevolent adversaries. Attentiveness obstructs the demons by rebutting them and Jesus, when invoked, disperses them together with all their fantasies. St. Philipios of Sinai. In the nature of things, if someone wants to be saved, no person, and no time, place, or occupation can prevent him. St. Peter of Damascus He who hates the
0: passions gets rid of their causes. But he who is attracted by their causes is attacked by the passions even though he does not wish it. We cannot entertain a passion in our mind unless we have a love for its causes. Saint Mark the Ascetic. On May 21, in the Holy Orthodox Church, we commemorate Constantine, Prince of Murom, and his sons Michael and Theodore, the Wonderworkers, and the holy, glorious, God-crowned and great Sovereigns, Constantine and Helen, the equals to the Apostles. As the Sovereigns had the earthly crown in common, So have they, now in common the Crown Celestial. On the 21st died Constantine with his mother. Before a great battle, a brilliant cross appeared to Constantine in the sky during the day. Completely adorned with stars, and written on the cross were these words, By this sign, conquer. Astonished, the Emperor ordered a large cross to be forged similar to the one that appeared to him, and that it be carried before the army. By the power of the cross, he achieved a glorious victory over the larger enemy. Immediately after that, Constantine issued the famous Edict of Milan in 313 to halt the persecution of Christians. When a discord began in the church because of the heretic Arius, the emperor convinced the first ecumenical council in Nicaea in 325, where the heresy was condemned and orthodoxy confirmed. Helen the pious mother of the emperor visited Jerusalem discovered the honorable cross of the Lord, built the Church of the Resurrection on Golgotha and other churches throughout the Holy Land. This holy woman presented herself to the Lord in the 80th year in 327. Emperor Constantine died 10 years later at age 65. On this day, the sixth Sunday of Pascha, we celebrate the miracle wrought by our Lord and God and Saviour Jesus Christ upon the man who was blind from his birth. O Light of Light, Most Perfect and Light Provider! On the blind from birth, O word, eyes thou bestowest. The Saviour met this man, born blind and incurable after every human effort, while leaving the temple of the Sabbath. Saints John Chrysostom, Basil the Great and Irenaeus teach that the man was born without eyeballs. Jesus spat into the dirt, made clay, rubbed it in his eye sockets and told him to wash in the pool of Siloam a famous water spring in Jerusalem. The Saviour did not send him there because his eye sockets were filled with clay, nor did the pool have healing power, but instead to test his faith and obedience. Jesus fashioned the eyes of the blind man from dirt as God fashioned man from the dirt. The blind man proclaimed that Jesus healed him, but this confession caused him to be cast out by the enemies of the truth. Even his own parents would not defend him. However, the blind man followed Jesus from that moment forward. By thine infinite mercy, O Christ, our God, giver of light, have mercy upon us. Amen.
2: How does the Orthodox Church view the Sacrament of Baptism? do being resurrected from the grave, you resurrected the entire race of Adam. Christ is risen from the dead, by death he has trampled upon death, and to those in the tombs he is bestowing life. Jesus, having risen from the grave as he foretold, has bestowed to us eternal life.
1: And
0: One of the best known prayers within the Orthodox Church speaks of the Spirit of God being present in all places and filling all things. This is a deep and basic understanding of what Orthodoxy's view and understanding is of God and his relationship to the world. That is why we truly believe that God is near us, even though he cannot be seen. It's why the Sacrament of Baptism unites us into the Church, which is the body of Christ, and introduces us into the life of the Holy Trinity, as it is necessary for our salvation. The water is a natural symbol of the cleansing and newness of life. Through the threefold immersion in the water of baptism in the name of the Holy Trinity, one dies to its old self and is born into a new life in Christ. The baptism recognizes Christ's death and victorious resurrection. As during the early church, Orthodoxy has always encouraged the baptism of infants, as the church believes that the sacrament is bearing witness to the action of God, who chooses a child to be an important member of his people. From the day of their baptism, children are expected to mature and grow up in the life of the Spirit through the Church and their family. Immediately following the baptism, the sacrament of chrismation, or confirmation, has started, leaving no delay until a later age. As chrismation is often referred to as one's personal Pentecost, it is the sacrament which reveals the Spirit in a special way. During the Sacrament of Chrismation, the priest anoints the various parts of the body of the newly baptized with the Holy Oil, saying the seal of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Oil which is blessed by the bishop is a sign of consecration and strength. It emphasizes the truth that not only is each person a valuable member of the church, but also everyone is blessed by the Spirit with certain gifts and talents. The anointing also reminds us that our bodies are valuable and are involved in the process of salvation. The Sacrament of Initiation concludes the service with the distribution of the Holy Communion to the newly baptized. This practice reveals and symbolizes that Orthodoxy views children from a young age as important members of the Church, as there is never a time when the young are not part of God's people. The following segment, Monasteries of our Patriarchate, will take you on a journey through the profound Orthodox monasteries specific to Antioch and all the East. We hope you gain a greater insight and appreciation into the geography, history, contributions, miraculous recounts, and spiritual guidance these revered sites and the inhabitants provide.
2: St George Saidneia Antiochian Monasteries Overlooking the renowned convent of the Theotokos in Sayyidnea is the patriarchal monastery of Saint George in the same town. Many monasteries and churches in the Middle East are dedicated to the great martyr and this one is no exception. This monastery's current monastic order and rule was founded in 1995 and firmly established in 1999. Seven monks under the wing of a father superior lead a cyclical spiritual life beginning at 4 o'clock in the morning and holding communal prayers at 6. From 8 to 12, the monks undertake physical labor tending to the monastery's needs including caring for its abundant vegetation from the many vines, figs and cypress trees to its 200 olive trees. The monks partake of a common noontime meal and afterwards attend to spiritual study, rest or more work. This is followed by the Vespers service and personal prayer, dinner and a nourishing spiritual conversation with the Father Superior. The monks engage in spiritual reading as the last activity of the day. Each activity in the day is heralded by the striking of a mallet on a wooden plank, also known as a talondo and semantron. This is the daily spiritual life of the monks of St. George Sayednaya, committing each day to strengthening their love of their Lord. However. It is not only monks that partake of its monastic life, but pilgrims too. Spiritual retreats are held at the monastery in the summer which last between three to seven days and attract various individuals, especially young people. A reception is also held once a month for those in neighbouring suburbs who are particularly close to the monastery. At present, the monks are seeking to expand the monastery's function to further serve the needs of the youth. This modern life of the monastery can trace its origins to St. George Sayed revival in 1985, when it was refurbished and attached to the Monastery of Our Lady. However, the monastery's definite origin is largely unknown, which is the case of several Middle Eastern monasteries. It is traditionally believed to have been founded in the time of the early Christian ascetics, in the first few centuries after Christ. Evidence of this may arise from the ancient appearance of the monastery's lower walls. The St. George Monastery was first recorded by a Russian pilgrim called Barsky, who in 1727 stated that the church is very small. Despite its age, it is very solid, being built of stone. Only a single monk lives here as the caretaker of the church. This is not unusual that one monk alone should reside in the monastery at the time. Yet another traveller, this time from England, also remarked the presence of a single monk at St. George's in 1737. Other subsequent descriptions of this monastery indicate its presence on a cliffside amongst a grotto, suggesting it provided a habitation for cave-dwelling ascetics, whose relics probably rest in the tombs around this region. Under the Metropolitan Germano-Shahedi, St. George's Monastery was restored in 1905, and an episcopal see was founded in 1912. He also planned to establish a museum to display icons dating back to the 17th and 18th centuries. The monastery was officially integrated to the Sea of Damascus in 1924, when the region of Sayyidnaya became a part of it following the conclusion of the Sea of Seleucia. The monastery faced decades of abandonment until its ultimate revival in 1985. The monastery precinct itself is comprised of many buildings each build in different periods of history, and its interior structure is largely square-shaped. Only the lower walls of the church are made from the original ancient structure. Some large, white-cut blocks forming the church's walls seem to date from the Byzantine Empire, while the rest of the church can be dated to 1905, with the bell tower and red-tiled dome being a very recent addition. When the Metropolitan's Residence was being constructed in 1912, the workers discovered a grotto containing entrance steps, which was likely used as a dwelling for early Christian ascetics. It is currently a sanctuary dedicated to St. George, and was recently furnished with a red-tiled dome, an iconostasis and a marble pavement. The oldest part of St. George Monastery resembles the customary, traditional Sayyidnayan architecture and contains two floors and a gallery. The ground floor contains a hall, while nestled within the first floor are a kitchen, terrace, sitting room and three cells. The first floor is reserved for female pilgrims. A library, cellar and workshop lie atop the orchid field and are important to the monks daily work life. Another building on the premises contains two floors. The upper floor has a large library, a conference room, an office, a refectory and private apartment while the lower floor has seven cells, bathrooms, a kitchen, a sewing workshop, a refectory, and a computer room. Computers may serve as important tools to prepare information for pilgrims, such as the monastery's website or online resources for layperson's benefits. The monastery also has a small store where pilgrims may purchase devotional items such as prayer ropes and icons. There are many other buildings on the monastery's side, each serving its own purpose in providing a prayerful environment to monks and pilgrims alike. The church in the monastery's grounds is adorned with several icons. Within the iconostasis established in 1905, many icons stand depicting the Lord, the Theotokos, and several saints. Most of these icons were painted or written in 1961, but the icons of the Transfiguration and Theophany of Christ date to 1707 by the same iconographer. On the south side of the church, to the right of the iconostasis, is an icon of the Annunciation dating to the 1700s, which is depicted against a background of Corinthian columns and red roof towers. A rather unusual style is depicted in that icon, a motif of a tree rising in the middle and splitting the scene into two ultimately representing the rod of the root of Jesse, a symbol of Christ's royal descent. Other saints depicted in the church include its patron, St. George, St. Nicholas, and St. Christopher. Overall, the monastery of St. George in Sayyidnea is a spiritual refuge for monks and pilgrims and accompanies the acclaimed convent of Our Lady of Sayyidnea as a bulwark of orthodoxy in Syria. Its rich, modern history places it as a center of active spiritual life in the middle east, and a flower of spiritual nectar for those thirsty to seek divine consolation.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to another installment of the Divine Lantern. Remember next week we'll have part 3 from our series presented by the Khuriyas on serving the community with the focus next week on the ministry of Saint Emilia, Christ is risen, indeed he is risen. Have a blessed day, and we hope to catch you next week.